Hi, I'm Joey Armstrong. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. Welcome to Earthmakers Workshops, a space for us to grow together in our knowledge and practice of spirituality and spiritual care. Today's workshop is going to feature the howling of kitties outside the door. So um, my kitties really don't like it when I close the door. If you are a cat owner, you might resonate with this a little bit. Um, (laughs) It's it's kind of uh, both endearing and annoying as hell. So, uh, but I'm but I was told recently by a friend, my friend Shane, in fact. Uh, not to apologize for the kitties because they are um, a welcome addition to the podcast. And I'm going to choose to agree with Shane about that. So no apologies. My kitties, Rev, Rabbi, Potato, and Waffles may make appearances at different times on the podcast as special guests. And they are always welcome. Except when I close the door. Today is an Earthmakers workshop, and as I announced last week, today's workshop is called Forget Faith. So we're going to unpack today the ways in which faith holds us back instead of moving us forward, and maybe also some of the ways in which faith is helpful to us. If you have a writing utensil and something to write on, I'd go grab those things. Uh, Yeah, and get set up and get comfortable. I'll give you a little bit to do that. Maybe you need to bundle up. Maybe you need to make yourself some tea. I have my scarf um, wrapped around me. Uh, Actually, it's more of a shawl. Um, than anything, and it makes me feel uh, pretty and feminine, and it also makes me uh, warm, and that's really nice. Okay, so what is faith, right? Let's start there. Faith is uh, really the def- the definition of faith is is sort of a debatable topic. Um, I grew up hearing that faith was um, just believing that Jesus Christ was your Lord and Savior. I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian community, and so that's what I was taught, that faith was something, but faith was on me to muster up within myself. And then I left the fundamentalist evangelical Christian world, and I joined the progressive Christians and uh, the historical Christians, and I joined a Lutheran community. And the Lutheran Christians taught me that faith was a divine gift given to us unwrapped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the 
personal presence of the higher power in the world. And throughout life, God gave us opportunities to grow our faith, strengthen our faith. But faith was not something that we could make happen on our own or muster up within ourselves. It was something that had to be gifted to us by God, by something outside of us. And that comforted me a great deal because I grew up with this um, picture of faith that felt impossible to me. Especially when I, my family started suffering and I started experiencing all kinds of evil in the world and I began to doubt the existence of an unconditionally loving God. So, to hear the good news that God was taking care of it was really nice. But how does faith show up? That's really interesting to me. So, different people have different definitions of faith and how it works. Um, In the 12-step process, faith is the spiritual principle behind step three. Step three is we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of our higher power. And the spiritual principle behind turning your will and your life over to something other than you is faith. Uh, Sometimes in my circles, I have patients and clients who will say things to me like, well, I have faith, I believe in God. That is not Faith. Faith is uh, belief in a higher power, but belief that that higher power is good, unconditionally loving, and cares for me consistently no matter what. That is faith. So faith involves, is belief plus trust plus hope, all wrapped up in this package, right? Um, Faith is, I trust you, higher power, to do the right thing by me, even though I can't see you, I trust you. This is why um, people that get stuck in rational mind uh, and atheist types and humanist types struggle with religious language, faith language. Faith language is often not just spiritual language. Faith is the language of the religious in the traditional sense of the word religion. Um, and it, it, and I admit uh, as a human being, when I, when I hear some of these debates about what faith actually is, if you took a Lutheran Christian and an evangelical Christian and put them in a room together and asked them to give you a definition of faith, they would probably end up in a pretty fierce debate. Now, debate's not bad. That's fine. But at the end of the day, we walk away with two different definitions of what faith actually is and how it functions. And the truth of the matter is, if you get five different people of faith, if they call themselves that, and and ask them all to define faith, it's possible that you might get five different definitions. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, um, whose name was actually Jacob in the Hebrew, um, says in his book in the New Testament, uh, faith without works is dead. 
So if you have faith, but you are not working, if you are not practicing the fruits of your faith, then your faith is worthless. It is no good. You might as well throw the shit out, <laughs> right? Uh, Luther, Martin Luther, the great German reformer and theologian and Old Testament scholar, hated the book of James. He called it a book of straw. He said he wanted it to be burned for that reason. Right? Well, then we turn over to uh, Paul. Uh, Paul, St. Paul the Apostle, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, um, wrote several epistles, which are letters to early churches. And he says uh, that justification or salvation happens by grace through faith alone. Now, that one's hard to unpack. And it's got, and so the only way that like my Lutheran professors knew how to articulate this to me was, well, in order for grace through faith alone to work, the faith has to be a gift of God's grace, grace being unmerited favor, right? Well, there was a long time where I just had a hell of a time just trying to believe that God existed, let alone that God was good in a world full of evil, that I was told to just have faith. Fear is the opposite of faith, I was told. Fear is a control issue. Faith is letting go of control. And in a practical, simple sense, yes, that's true. And faith can be a beautiful, wonderful Thing and I know plenty of people who are who consider themselves people of faith, who have lived happy, fulfilling lives, have been able to stay connected to their spiritual traditions and their religious beliefs, and their practice, their entire lives. Uh, when I was working as a hospice chaplain, there were people who were on their deathbeds, and the people who had a faith, a vibrant faith life or claimed to be a person of faith had an easier time of dying because they felt secure. They believed, they had faith that something good was waiting on the other side of their death. And so many of the people of faith died peacefully. Now, that may bump up against your sensibilities. Maybe you're an atheist today and you're like, well, that can't be true all the time and that's not fair a fair assessment. It may not feel like a fair assessment, but it is true. Uh, in my experience, uh, the majority of people who experienced a faith life were more comfortable dying in the end, especially if they were older, uh, senior types, <clears throat> who had lived a full life with that faith, right? Faith is largely just unexplainable, and that's the thing. So people then might ask the question, is it possible for me to engage in healthy spirituality without faith? There is a contingent of people in spiritual communities who would say absolutely not. (laughs) Most of those people um, would be evangelical fundamentalist Christian types. That's been my experience anyways. Or maybe Roman Catholic types. 
that's a, and that is a sort of an interesting and very different approach to it than I would take. My response to that question is absolutely it's possible to practice spirituality without faith. Why? Because I've been doing it now for six, seven years. <clears throat> so a little background for you. For years, for many years, um, I grew up in Christian communities, and I took on the mantle of Christian clergy. I went and studied theology and philosophy and biblical literature and biblical languages in college, and then I went to seminary. I worked um, in uh, practical ministry settings, in parishes and churches as a youth pastor, as an assistant pastor, as a soul pastor. And uh, then was clinically trained um, as, a, as a chaplain. A chaplain is a, a pastor of, of a sort a pastoral type, a clergy person, typically, who is working in a field other than the parish, typically. Um, chaplains are dispatched to a particular location. So we've got chaplains in the military, we've got chaplains in prisons, we've got chaplains in senior care facilities, and we've got chaplains in hospice and hospitals and counseling centers and addiction treatment facilities. So I was trained in hospital chaplaincy. Um, that's where I got my clinical training. Um, and I worked in hospitals. I worked in hospice and senior care and um, went on to work in the addiction treatment and recovery world. And I'm super grateful to be a part of the addiction treatment world still as a spiritual care counselor. <clears throat> it is really where I belong, and I just love this work. It's fabulous, fabulous work. <laughs> when I was doing my residency, so just like doctors are required to do a residency before they take on the role of full doctor, medical doctor, right? Um, chaplains are also required to do a residency. And I'm sure there are other fields that are too, that do too. So I did my residency. And during the residency, I was uh, newly sober, um, newly engaging with my recovery. And it was a terrifying process. Um, and anybody who's ever done clinical pastoral education is what it's called will tell you that it is hard work. And so to throw on top of that addiction recovery, new addiction recovery, new addiction treatment, that's just close to insanity, right? So I wasn't out as trans at the time. Um, I was convinced that I was a cisgender male um, because I didn't know any better. 
and I was miserable. <laughs> and I had just lost a career opportunity because of addiction. And I was full of self-doubt and trauma. And I kept falling on my knees and praying and begging the God that was articulated to me in the Bible to help me, to dig me out of this pit of despair, to help me stay sober. But I was having a lot of hardship. I was struggling to stay sober. One day, uh, my clinical coordinator, my clinical supervisor, um, a woman named Holly, sat me down and said, we need to talk about your anxiety. Um, Now, Holly is a Tibetan Buddhist chaplain, Uh, an amazing, amazing individual. I miss her every day. She's just had a huge impact on my life. And Holly, when we were talking about the anxiety, she said, do you ever meditate, Joey? And I said, no, no, I I don't. I said, I don't don't think it's for me. She said, why? Because you're a Christian? And I said, "Uh, I guess. I said, I've just never really been taught. I've heard about meditation, but I, I just don't think it's for me. And she said, well, I want to teach you how to meditate. And then you can tell me if it's not for you. And I trusted Holly, so I meditated with her. And I began to meditate more and more and more. And I began to really dive into meditation. I began to notice a shift happening in me. I entered into the practice of meditation. You've heard me say this before. Um, Maybe in the last workshop, uh, Belief versus Practice. Um, I entered into meditation with uh, no belief in fact, an opposite belief, the belief that meditation was not going to be for me. But the practice wound up transforming my life, helped me stay sober, helped me connect with who I actually am, my authentic self. And it had absolutely nothing to do with faith. My faith was the thing, my faith in this God of the Bible to engage in certain types of behaviors on my behalf was actually causing me great discomfort, suffering, and despair. So just take a minute right now, and if wherever you have your writing implements, write down your definition of faith. I would be super curious to hear what your definition of faith is. If you're ever interested in sharing this stuff with me, please reach out um, at earthmakerspod at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at RevJoeBear, R-E-V-J-O-B-E-A-R. Now, next to your definition of faith, I want you to write down your definition of belief. 
and ask yourself, is it the same definition? I have been taught my whole life that faith has a very, is, a, is a very special thing. You know, like I said earlier, I've grown up around different communities of Christians who believe different things about what faith is and how it functions and how we attain it. Um, but as a Buddhist practitioner, when I look at faith... Here's what I see. Faith is a glorified belief in the practical sense, in the rational sense. And belief is a glorified opinion. And not just glorified. A belief is an opinion that gets uh, embedded in our brains in such a way that we start to operate according to that thing that's in our brain. And it, and it might be a, a lie. The belief might be a com, com, be complete horseshit, right? <laughs> um, so, for example, uh, COVID right now uh, is, is scary. I mean, it's just, it's just been fucking scary for many, many months. And, um, and we're heading into 2021 without having dealt with this in a healthy way as a country because we don't know how to, I believe. Um, but there's a group of people, there's a community of people who believe firmly that COVID is problematic, that it's real, and that the way we deal with it is by not gathering, not even for Thanksgiving and not even for Christmas. And keeping our masks on, washing our hands and keeping six feet of physical distance with our neighbors and even practicing social distancing when appropriate. Right? There's a whole other community of people that, and yes, they do exist in this country, who believe, and I've spoken to some of these people and I've heard stories about these folks who believe that COVID is no worse than a simple flu bug and that wearing masks and refusing to gather are is just a group of people buying into a liberal myth and then there are people who are covid deniers much like holocaust deniers um or 9-11 deniers, uh, these people also exist, uh, who say that it's not real. It's just not real at all. It's, it's all been, you know, it's all artificial. It's been faked by the government and, you know, all kinds of things. It's so interesting, right? We, so whatever camp you fall in of those beliefs, you might look at your neighbor who might fall in a different camp and consider that neighbor to be pretty delusional, right? Um, and uh, for example, just to throw, throw a political monkey wrench into the, into the works because, you know, I can't help myself apparently, um, when Donald Trump and Joe Biden were uh, in the election cycle, 
and apparently Donald Trump thinks we still are, uh, (laughs) even though the race is over. Um, There were people, people in my family, not my family, not my immediate family, but uh, extended family, who were going to these Republican rallies and gatherings of evangelical Christians and praying around the clock for the re-election of Donald Trump. And when they were asked why, my aunt, for example, responded with, I have faith that God wants Donald Trump re-elected. I have faith in God that he will be re-elected because he's God's chosen president. Now, we can tell people you should never mock anybody's faith. You should never, ever mock anybody's faith. But I think that that is dangerous. Now, mocking is problematic. But if you can't look at faith and belief objectively, there's a problem, right? There's a problem. And it's actually not healthy spirituality to just let people believe whatever the fuck they want to believe. Like, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. My aunt's and she doesn't listen to this podcast, and so (laughs) I feel comfortable saying this, but my aunt and people in her community believe believe firmly that Donald Trump was chosen by God and that God wants Donald Trump in the White House. And they have faith, but yet Donald Trump was not elected. Joe Biden was elected. And the faith apparently speaks really loudly to them. Faith is a powerful tool. Faith changes lives. Faith transforms ways of thinking. Faith is a part of people's healing experience. Faith can be beautiful and wonderful and good. Whatever it is, though, whatever, however we want to define faith, it has power. It has convincing power. So my aunt and her friends, all convinced that... um, Donald Trump's supposed to be in the White House because they have faith that that's what God wants. But he wasn't elected. So now what do we say? Your faith sucks. Your faith is crap. You know, our faith doesn't work. But my faith works. I have faith in the right things. You have faith in the wrong things. Well, then we get into really messy territory because it's very possible that Donald Trump could have been reelected and he wasn't. Joe Biden was elected. Thank God for that, right? But what if we had said on the, uh, those of us who were praying on the other end for Joe Biden to be elected? Well, Joe Biden's going to be elected and we have faith that that's what God wants. And then he loses. What does that say about faith? What does that say about God? That God doesn't get what God wants? Well, for Christians and Jews and Muslims, that's a problematic belief. And that is not faith. To say that God doesn't get what God wants is counterintuitive to the Abrahamic theological traditions. So I just want you to take a moment and just consider how faith can cause great anxiety. There is a great overwhelming stress 
and fear-based anxiety that arises around faith language and faith practice and engaging with faith and differences around faith? Well, they failed because they had faith in the wrong things. Well, it's easy to say that, but we just, here's the truth. The truth is, we just don't know. And that's what faith is all about. Faith is all about engaging in a certain level, a special level of trust, a spiritual level of trust in something that we cannot see, in something that we don't know, in something that we're not certain of. Faith and certainty are certainly not the same things, right? They're very different things, in fact. So what helped me when I sat down with Holly, the Tibetan Buddhist chaplain who taught me how to meditate, the thing that helped me was my practice. Because my faith was not uh, really holding up. And in fact, it was being deconstructed slowly over several years. But my practice has remained in my life. Now, certainly I've gone through seasons where I drift away from meditating, where I drift away from my practice because of you know ADHD or stress or anxiety or trauma or some shit like that. But in general, the practice has stayed. In Buddhism, the teachings of the Dharma are the teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha taught the Dharma. The Dharma is the path forward. The Dharma is truth, things as they actually are. And the gift of Buddhist practice is inviting us to see things with eyes unclouded, to see things as they actually are. And I believe that that's what Jesus of Nazareth wanted as well. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, all he's doing is describing reality. He's describing things as they actually are, not as how we would have them or how we believe they are, but how they actually are. Revisit the New Testament and look at all the references to the kingdom of God, especially when Jesus makes those references, and they are references to reality. That is what the Buddha was doing as well. And I think the Buddha and the Christ were doing very similar work, if not the same work. The Buddha says, the Dharma shows us things as they actually are, helps us see with eyes unclouded. Jesus called it the kingdom. Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, called it the Dharma. So in my practice, I began engaging with Dharma. And when people would talk to me about their faith or their beliefs and how those things weren't helping them with their cancer or their addiction or whatever it was they were facing, I would say, well, okay, well, let's slow down a minute. Faith takes our mind and takes our heart and takes our perspective and, and puts us out of this moment and into something else. Faith always, always lifts us out of the moment, always, at least mentally it does. Now, 
if you believe certain things through your faith, it may help ground you in the moment. But faith is always about something that is not right in front of you. That's literally how faith works. It's the definition of faith, the practical definition of faith. Now, mystics might argue with me all day about that. That's fine because there's many levels to faith. I'm talking about the practical application and definition of faith, not the mystical understanding of faith. The truth is I could wrestle with faith all day long and not make any progress in my life. But when I practice, progress is made. What is the progress? Well, for Buddhists, it's Progress is emptiness. I believe in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the empty of spirit, right? I would say the same, uh, certainly. And the practice helps empty us of delusion. Delusion that that thing over there, or... What, whatever is going to happen then is going to satisfy me. You know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Faith is not bad, right? But faith alone cannot help you function in this life, in this time, in this moment. It simply doesn't function that way. It cannot. I know, I know, I know. I've got plenty of people listening to this who are going to push back. That's fine. I'm telling you that practical spirituality is about engaging with what's here and now. Because remember, spirituality is about connection. And truth, facts, things as they actually are, always connect us, always connect us to ourselves, others, and our higher power. I don't care about belief. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you have faith in. I want to know what's actually happening. So people ask me, what happens when we die? I don't know what happens when we die. I have no fucking clue. I haven't died yet, right? So instead of telling people, well, just have faith that you'll be with God someday, I can't in good conscience say that anymore. Faith needs to be applied in appropriate contexts. When somebody has died, I'm not always positive that faith is the appropriate pastoral tool to use in the moment. I'm not convinced of that. It doesn't mean it's not true. So why am I calling this workshop Forget Faith? For me, it was not until I dropped faith that I was able to move forward with my life, that I was able to actually begin healing, that I was actually able to begin making new, helpful choices. Now, do I have faith? Certainly. I have faith that one day uh, I will die and I will be united with my higher power. I have no idea what that looks like at all. I'm not going to let some text tell me what that is, but I have faith that I will be united with my loving higher power. Yes. I also have faith that 
my higher power, my unconditionally loving higher power is here with me and with us now. And that all of us are interconnected in a part of this thing that we call God. God is in all, God is around and through all, and God is all. That I have faith that those things are true. But I could be wrong. Faith always leaves room for a healthy amount of doubt. And so I try to allow faith and doubt to coexist in a healthy balance. I have just as much doubt as I have faith. Sometimes I have more doubt than faith, and sometimes I have more faith than doubt. But the healthy place for me is when faith and doubt are balanced, and I realize that they're both helpful tools on this journey. Doubt keeps me humble. Doubt keeps me in the moment. Doubt keeps me seeking the truth, keeps me seeking things as they actually are, the Dharma, the kingdom, whatever you want to call it. So now, whatever with your writing utensil and with your notebook or whatever you have to write with, I want you to write down what your long-term, throughout your life, what your definition of the kingdom of God has been. What has your definition of the kingdom been? Just write down a couple sentences that would define the kingdom of God to somebody who has never heard of it from your perspective. Now, look at that definition. Now, ask yourself the question, what if you're wrong about that definition? What if you're wrong? Is that okay? I'm telling you now, I'm giving you permission. It's okay. It's okay. It's fine to be wrong about that. It's fine. Now apply this piece to your definition. Jesus and the Buddha taught to show their disciples things as they actually are. Taught people to see with eyes unclouded. Now write a new definition of the kingdom of God using that reference. How does the kingdom of God work? if its express purpose is to reveal things as they actually are. Not things as we would believe or have faith in them being, but things as they actually are. Now, why am I telling you all of this today? Why am I doing this? <laughs> why did I choose this? This seemed like the natural follow-up to la the last workshop I did called Belief Versus Practice. Um, I'm telling you now that 
Faith is helpful, but only in certain contexts. In order for me to be healthy and well, I had to forget and let go of and release myself from my bonds to faith. Faith as what? Well, faith in a particular thing. Faith that God would do what I expect God to do. Faith that the scriptures within the Bible would always be true. Faith that God would not allow bad things to happen. Faith that God exists, all of this stuff, right? Faith that God wants a certain president in office, things like that. That's how my faith often functioned. Faith that I would be forgiven no matter what. But the thing is, I don't know these things for sure, right? So faith is going on trust and hope and on the grace of this loving higher power. But if I want to actually move forward, if I actually want to engage with this moment, right now, what's happening right here, right now, then faith is not necessary. It's not necessary to be here. So if you're an atheist listening today, it's okay. If you're a Christian listening today, it's okay. It's okay to not have faith right now, in this moment. What you need right now is the kingdom. What you need right now is the Dharma. What you need right now is practice. Something that is going to expose you to things as they actually are. Something that is going to help you see with eyes unclouded. When we are exposed to the truth, when we face the truth, even if it's the hard truth, we are free. We are free. Free from the shackles of assumptions, free from the shackles of opinions, beliefs, and faith. Faith that holds us back. There is faith that holds us back and there's faith that moves us forward. May our higher power grant us the wisdom to see the difference between faith that holds us back and faith that helps us progress. Now, have we solved the problem of faith today? No. <laughs> no, we haven't. And you know we haven't, right? Uh, so what was the point of this? The point of this workshop today was to get us to wrestle intellectually and emotionally with our um, presuppositions and beliefs about faith and how faith works and what faith is. And recognize that faith is not the end-all be-all. For Christians, the end-all be-all is the kingdom of God. Now, the, the, of course, the, uh, the catch there is that maybe you think, oh, well, I have to have faith that the kingdom of God is the end-all be-all. Sure, go ahead, whatever, <laughs> if that works for you. Now, before people go thinking that this is me plugging Buddhism over and above... Christianity. I want to be very clear. Buddhism and Christianity are my two spiritual worlds. So I've got one foot in each world. I operate in both of those circles. And both are very important to me. It's Buddhism primarily 
because it, it could have been anything. It didn't have to be Buddhism, but it was the Dharma. It was things as they actually are that helped me practice a new way of life, that helped change my life in a positive way, that helped connect me to me, others, and my higher power. And I keep seeing this happen over and over again. The addicts in recovery that I work with, if I just keep telling them, have faith, have faith, have faith, nothing changes, folks. I, I, I hate to break it to you, but nothing changes. I see the proof all the fucking time. When I tell them, here's a helpful practice for you to engage with that will help you connect with how things actually are in the here and now, right in front of you, and they're able to be in the moment with what is, they're able to practice acceptance, and they're able to connect, and change and transformation and true healing and freedom begins to take place, begins to take wing and soar, and it's just a gorgeous thing to watch. And I will always choose things as they actually are over faith. I will always choose that because it helps me. And because I've watched it help so many others. Now, if I were an evangelical Christian um, or a, a super conservative Muslim, say, leading this uh, talk today, doing this workshop today, I might say faith is the thing that we should always choose over everything else. Because faith, I've watched faith change lives. And I can say too, I've watched faith change lives. I've watched faith do beautiful things. But I have also watched faith destroy and disconnect and block and abandon and obliterate and annihilate. I have never seen truth, dharma, kingdom, do that. I have never seen that. Now, could it be that that is true? That that would happen? Maybe. I just don't see how. <laughs> You're going to have to prove it to me, right? So my encouragement to you is to forget faith when it is causing problems. You don't have to have faith to practice. You don't have to have faith to practice. It's okay. You can unshackle yourself from those demands. You don't have to have faith to practice. I promise you. Okay. This workshop today has been uh, Forget Faith. Forget Faith, um, the Forget Faith workshop is um, not anti-faith, remember? It is about putting faith in its proper context, right? Um, <clears throat> I hope that you got something out of today's workshop. Um, it's it's uh, admittedly challenging to do a workshop over podcast because you can't see me, I can't see you. But I hope that it's um, adding something to your life. If you are ever interested in teaching a workshop on Earthmakers, if you're a regular listener, if you're somebody who has connected with me, 
and you're interested in engaging further in a meaningful way with Earthmakers and you wish to volunteer in a way that would promote the mission of Earthmakers to make more Earthmakers and you want to lead a workshop, please let me know. I would be more than happy to give you the chance to lead a workshop and to teach something that you're passionate about that you think will make people better Earthmakers better spiritual care providers. Good work today. Um, I will see you, let's see, today's Wednesday. I will see you Friday uh, for a regular episode of Earthmakers. We'll get back to things uh, as they actually are. (laughs) Uh, See what I did there? Uh, And... um, The next workshop I'm working on, as I've announced before, is uh, spirituality and mental illness. And we'll unpack that one uh, within the next few weeks. Um, You'll see that one come down the pike, okay? Uh, Take good care of you. I'll see you Friday.